If you want to take your Bibles, if you're using the supplied Bible in the chair in front of you, uh, we're going to start on page number one, and uh, we are going to do an overview uh, of several different scriptures. And as we look at um, our eating this morning, or before we do that, I should say, I want to go to the Lord in prayer once again. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross and being our sacrifice, being our uh, lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Thank you that through your blood we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Father, that is something that uh, we, we just sang about, but I pray that that might be the reality of our lives. I pray that that would be something that we would celebrate often and that would uh, be something that uh, we keep before us every single day, all throughout the day. It is our only hope in this life and in the life to come. And Father, this morning there are many uncertainties, there are many uh, pressures, whether that's related to schooling, whether it's related to work, uh, whether it's, it's just related to financial pressures, uh, and so many other things, even physical health uh, there are so many things that seek to gain the attention and uh, um, the focus of our heart and our mind. And this morning, Father, I would ask that those things would uh, be, you would allow those things to be pushed to the background, that we would come to your word uh, with open hearts, with open minds, um, seeing what you might have for us this morning. And we ask that your spirit would uh, be at work uh, beginning in my heart and in the heart of everyone here, the heart of those that perhaps will listen to this uh, later on as well. Uh, so guide my lips and guide my mind uh, in declaring your word and let it be your word that is declared in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was speaking to a friend this week and uh, I share with him, hey, I'm working on a sermon about eating, just, just sort of in passing as we were talking about what we're doing this week. And uh, his response stood out to me, and it, was, it went something like, uh, okay, so what are you going to talk about, gluttony? Uh, I don't really have a problem with that. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of more important things going on in the world, and, and even in my own life, uh, I guess it would be kind of interesting to listen to something about eating, but uh, it just seems like maybe there's more bigger, there's bigger things to talk about. Because when we get the bigger things in order in our lives, you know, then we move on to, to things like eating and, and, and gluttony and those sort of things and, and sort of straighten up those small areas of our life. Well, as you can imagine, my, sort of my first instinct was, man, this is going to be an irrelevant sermon this Sunday. Uh, if other people are thinking along those lines as well. And, um, and maybe you have a similar response and you're wondering, you know, why, why are we talking about eating when literally our world seems like it's falling apart? Uh, why are we doing on a, a series on life rhythms in the midst of all the chaos that's happening? But in reality, I found that in my own life, and, and so this is this is experiential, but I think it's also as we look at Scripture and how God has ordered and designed us. Um, in my life, when there are bigger things out of order, it's oftentimes because there are smaller things in my life that are out of order. When I'm struggling in, and, and we could do, you know, quote-unquote bigger areas, it's often because I'm overlooking smaller areas in my life or areas that we might say are more routine, that we just kind of gloss over in our day-to-day. -day. One example, and I'll stick even with eating here, um, it's not uncommon for a person that struggles in the area of self-control related to sexual sin to also struggle in the area of self-control as it relates to our food intake. Because oftentimes those bigger areas are rooted in problems that manifest themselves in smaller areas of life. And so it's easy to think that our spiritual struggles are happening in these bigger areas, sexual sin, 
uh, faithlessness, anger, drunkenness, these, these, what we might say, big problem areas. And in doing so, we often overlook the, the impact that ne- neglecting our personal worship has in our lives. Uh, we dismiss the need to be connected to others within the body. We gloss over our tendency to be, to be workaholics. Like that, that doesn't really affect these other things. I need to get these big things in order before I address some of these smaller areas. But as I thought through that, and, and obviously even in the midst of, of this whole sermon series, I am convinced that it's our approach to these daily, sometimes, sometimes mundane, uh, rhythms of life that will be, these things will begin to shape our overall life and, and really draw us closer to God. So our eating plays a significant role in our spiritual life. I hope, I hope that's apparent this morning as we talk through this. So I don't see this as a, hey, hey, here, we're going to talk about a topic that really doesn't uh, bear much relevance to our day and age, but in, in fact, I see it as something that we engage in frequently, multiple times a day, that we can use to draw our hearts and minds to our God so that when those big things come in our life, we, we will have the faith and we will have the focus that we need to. With that being said, who, who likes to eat? Raise your hand. Wow, a lot of hands going up. Who has a favorite food? Okay, if you raise your hand that you have a favorite food, on the count of three, I want you to say it out loud, okay? One, two, three. Okay, I didn't hear all that. Maybe chocolate was in there, I think. Uh, We have favorite foods, and the most basic reason as to why we eat and drink it's because that, those, those foods provide the nutrients to build and repair and grow our bodies. I mean, I, I like to eat like everyone else. Uh, I like to eat donuts. Well, I don't know if it's my favorite thing, but when we go on a trip, you can ask, ask Avalon. This might be a bad habit that she's picking up from me. I don't know. Because she's starting to say, hey, have you looked up any donut places? When we go on a trip, I, I will look to see, are there any donut places where we're going or even on the way? It could, it could be a slight diversion. And I usually mask that in like, hey, we got to get gas here at this exit. Uh, but I, I usually look for places that have high Google ratings, typically 4.5 and above. Anything else I'm not going to go that far out of my way for. But, but I like to to eat donuts, and I'm willing to write a paper that show how donuts grow and build and repair our body if I need to. In 2011, a study showed that the average American eats 1,996 pounds of food per year. That's almost one ton of food. I don't think I'm overstating anything when I would say as a nation, we like to eat, and we eat like no nation has ever eaten before. Not only do we consume literally a ton of food every year, we consume a wide variety of food. I like variety in my food, okay? I love flavors, and it's wonderful that God has designed this world with a whole assortment, an array of foods with all different types of flavors. But for other people in the world, they don't have access to all of that variety. They they simply eat what they have. Why? Because eating in and of itself is a physical necessity. You can go three days, maybe, without drinking anything, without water, without fluids. You can go maybe around 40 days or so without food. But not too long before your body needs that nourishment. And it is a physical necessity to eat. But although it's a physical necessity, it's also a spiritual action. Does it really matter how I approach the meals that I eat? Does it really matter my mindset as I'm engaged in a a meal at home? Well, Paul, the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10.31, 
I think, would answer yes to that question when he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Just like in everything else that you do, every time that you eat, it is a spiritual action. God created us as both physical and spiritual beings, material and immaterial. And God is concerned with both our body and our soul. And through the gospel, he's redeeming his people both in body and soul. So eating is a big part of our lives. And then it would only make sense that God would have much to say about eating. So I I did a real rough um, uh, word search in the the Bible software that I have. And you can search various uh, translations and and, and original languages and things. And I just took five words that I thought would be, be maybe most prominent as it related to uh, eating. And did a search on those. I, did, I searched on, on the word eat and its variations, so like ate or eating, uh, food, drink, taste, and the word bread. And those, between those five words in the English Standard Version, they show up 1,747 times. Not to mention all the other types of food and, and references that, that might be done in a larger word search. We're not going to have the time to look at all of these verses. But I think it gives us a glimpse into the breadth at which eating and food is, is mentioned in Scripture. Even if it's just what's taking place in a story. And over the next two weeks, we will particularly focus on how our times of eating really do give us opportunities to reflect on the character of, God, of our God and give us a greater longing for Him, that we want more of Him. This morning, we're going to walk through some key texts starting here in Genesis 1. We're going to end in the New Testament. We're going to skip over the life of Christ, eating in the life of Christ, and we'll look at that in, in more detail focus next week because there is just much to be said about that. So I want to start here in Genesis chapter 1 this morning. Don read these verses, so I'm, I'm going to try not to duplicate the reading of that. that hopefully you, ha- you got a sense of that, and we've been in this story uh, from Genesis 1 to 3 in, in many of our weeks looking at it from different perspectives and different angles. So eating in Genesis. Let's look at eating in Genesis as it relates to Adam. In chapter 1 and verse number 29, God uh, gives the gift of food. I am giving you, Adam and Eve and all humanity, the the gift of food as found in the trees or things that, that have a seed and would bring forth fruit. So God has already given mankind the commands of procreation and work. He's, and then he's, he's placed us in a world that he's designed for us. He's given us responsibility, but he's also given us blessing. I'm giving you the, the gift of food. I'm giving you the blessing of food. So as we care for or work the ground, it then repays us with needed food. This is... Further indicated in chapter 2, verses number 8 and 9, focusing in here more so on the Garden of Eden. As God says, I've created this garden, I've made it for you. And and then in verse number 9, he says, The Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. God causes the trees to grow and produce fruit for Adam and Eve to eat. And and notice here, we're going to see this language a little bit in the next chapter. But it is pleasant to the sight and good for food. I think everybody has said at one time or another, they they, they see a a food item. Maybe it's on somebody's uh, plate as you're walking by a restaurant. They're sitting in the window there. Or you come into the house and you see what's cooking. And you say what? And that looks good. Our sight. God, God uses the, the, the blessing of food. He's designed food to be an enjoyment, not just even the way we taste, but, but in many different senses, including our sight. It looks 
good. At the end of the verse, uh, verse number nine, there's two specific trees that are mentioned and identified. The tree of life. Uh, next week, we'll, we'll at least touch on or, or note how this tree once again shows up in the book of Revelation. But the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So the gift of food is given. God is growing this food from the ground for Adam and Eve to eat. You jump down to verse number 15, and you have the commands regarding eating. So it's not just a free-for-all, eat anything that's there, but the Lord God commanded the man, verse 16, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden. So first, God instructs them in what they could eat. You can eat of all the trees in the garden. We don't know the number, but God isn't withholding anything from them. He's, he's given them a, a vast variety, would be the, the indication. He's, he's created for them multiple trees to eat of. So he tells them what they could eat, but then he also says, here's what you cannot eat. Verse 17, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. If you do, it will bring about your death. Don't eat. There's one tree. Don't eat of that fruit. So you have commands regarding this eating. Pretty simple. I can do without one tree, right? Got all these other trees to eat from, except for you go to chapter 3, and the command regarding eating is disobeyed. Um, It's easy to dismiss the spiritual importance of eating in our lives, but, but consider that it was the temptation to eat that plunged men and women, Adam and Eve, all their offspring into sin and separation from God. It was that temptation to eat. From the beginning, Satan doesn't have humanity's best interest in mind. He is seeking to, his, to destroy and devour. That's true today. 1 Peter 5.8, Satan is a, like a lying Lion walking around seeking to devour. We see this early on in chapter number three in Genesis. And one of the ways he does this is he twists God's word and causes us to question the validity of it. Notice what it says at the end of verse number one. He said to the woman, did did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God actually say this? And almost getting the woman to question the very words of God. Verse number four, but the serpent said to the woman after she replies, you will not surely die. This completely contradicts what God has told told her. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan oftentimes wants us to focus on the things that we don't have. But God's not holding out on Adam and Eve. He's not holding out on us today. God has given Adam and Eve a plethora of trees to eat from. But Satan brings Eve's focus and ultimately Adam's focus as well to this one tree as if God is withholding from them something that is good. So would their desire to eat overrule their desire for God? And sadly, the answer to that question is yes. They, they would ultimately give in to that temptation to eat. Notice verse number six. I said we're going to see similar language as we saw in chapter two. So when the woman saw, there's her sight, that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and A very damning word, ate. She gave it to her husband, and he ate as well. What could one little bite do? Well, ultimately brought about their death, plunged the world into sin, and eating eventually brings a curse. In verses 11 through 13, in verses 17 to 19, um, as God is asking them again in the the garden, he, he 
his question in verse number 11. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? You can picture in that moment Adam and Eve saying, why did we, why did we eat? Right? Maybe it tasted good for a moment, but quickly reality set in. Verse number 17 God issues the curse, and he says in the middle of the verse there, uh, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your faith you shall eat bread. So the ground is cursed, work will be painful, but you're going to have to keep doing it because it's going to be through your labor in the ground that you will receive the necessary food that you need in order to continue to live. Work and eating go hand in hand. We're going to see that in the New Testament. Paul's going to bring that into light as well. But the creation account here reveals that eating is a gift from God to be enjoyed, but because of our disobedience, even this basic rhythm of life is broken and marred, and, 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 it's, and it's laborious. It's, it's going to be hard. It's gonna be, you're going to eat with the sweat of your brow. But it's a necessity, so it will continue. Several generations later, uh, if you want to turn, Genesis chapter 9 Again, we're just big, big sweeping brush overviews here. Um, I mean, we, we could get bogged down into many different stories and details related to, even in the book of Genesis, how God uses eating for his sovereign purposes in the story of Jacob and Esau, the, the stew. Uh, he, he uses a lack of food and famine to bring Israel into Egypt. So, so, so many different things we could look at. But Noah... Several generations after Adam and Eve, wickedness was so prevalent that God sent a global flood to destroy his creation. And in, in a way, it was a new beginning of sorts. The, the world was starting over. He saves eight people in this flood by the means of an ark, Noah and his family. And in chapter 9, we see very similar language that we saw in Genesis. Chapter, one, verse number, uh, chapter 9 and verse number 1 God blessed Noah and said to his to bless Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So there's a command here to procreate, much like Adam and Eve received. Chapter two, the fear of or verse number two, sorry, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the field, upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. There's, there's a, a command and, and, a, and a giving over of dominion and working and caring for the world. And then chapter 3, or verse, I keep saying chapter, verse 3 and 4, every moving thing that lives. So notice here, eating is expanded. Not just the fruit uh, of the trees, but every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And I, as I have given you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, with its blood. So eating is expanded after the flood to include everything. Uh, so there's a quick overview of eating in Genesis. You fast forward to the book of Exodus. Eating in Exodus. We come to Exodus chapter 12, which is page number 54. Exodus 12 12 and 13, really, because of famine. Remember I said lack of food uh, with Joseph. Because of the famine, the story of the Exodus begins with the people of Israel in slavery to the Egyptians. They cry out to God for help. He hears their cry. He sends Moses and Aaron to deliver them. And God uses Moses to bring 10 plagues to, on, to, on Pharaoh, the king, and the people of Egypt. If you remember the 10th plague, would cause the firstborn of all the Egyptians to be killed. And the only way that the firstborn was spared was if the blood of the lamb was applied to the doorpost and to the lintel of the house. The, the, the Lord would pass over that house and spare that firstborn. 
When the blood was applied, the lamb was the substitute for the firstborn. Of course, this is ultimately pointing to Jesus Christ as being the perfect lamb. When his blood is applied to our lives, so to speak, and we believe that his death was that sacrifice for sin, God substitutes his son in our place and passes over us. So after this final plague, Pharaoh lets Israel go. And if you remember the story, they quickly leave the land. And, and they're, they having eaten the meat from the lamb and the unleavened bread, the, the bread didn't have time to rise. And so they, they ate the bread unleavened. This is a foundational moment in the history of Israel. Something that God wants them to remember Never forget this. And as a result, God instructs the people to use this time as an annual memorial in two ways. The first being that Passover celebration. Chapter uh, 12 and verses 11 to 14 uh, is, is laid out for us. Verse number 11, in this manner you shall eat with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn of the land of Egypt from man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, and the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and you shall Sorry, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This was, this was the Passover. And then you get into the end of chapter 12, going into chapter 13, and the, the Passover is instituted as an annual reminder that God spared the firstborn by the blood of a lamb would be celebrated and remembered through the Passover meal. The second way that God would call call his people to remember this is through the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This would start the day after Passover, and this begins the celebration of the people leaving Egypt. So the night of the Passover, okay, that's the annual celebration of Passover. And the following day, the people would exit Egypt, and now the Feast of Unleavened Bread would start that day, it would continue for seven days. It was a week-long fast. Chapter 13 and verse number 3. Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No unleavened bread, no leavened bread shall be eaten. This would continue as a memorial into the promised land. Verse number 5 tells of this, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, you, you will be observing this. And then this ultimately concludes in a feast. Verse number six, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. What's the point of this feast? Verse number eight, you shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I, when I came out of Egypt, and it shall be a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statue at its appointed time from year to year. So not only is it just a celebration a celebration as a memorial, but it was a time to teach the next generation about the salvation of the God of Israel. This is what God did for me when he brought me out of the land of Egypt. This will be needed because only a month into their leaving Egypt, the people start complaining. And do you know what they start complaining about? Food. Lack of food. Exodus chapter 16, flip over there. Exodus 16, verse number two, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said, would that we have, in other words, we we, we should have just died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. 
when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. We're going we're gonna to starve to death out here. And what was God's response? God's response was bread from heaven. Verse number six. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Because uh, meat, quail is going to come in the, in the evening. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. I'll just stop there. Verse, verse number eight though. Uh, and, and Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning Bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumbled against him. So the provision of food, their eating, would actually be a reminder of God's deliverance and of his glory. Every time that that bread from heaven would come, and every time that that meat would be provided in the evening, it was a reminder of their faithfulness of God, a God who delivered them, a God who was there for them, that was providing for them even in the wilderness. And one of the identified problems in Israel was their grumbling and complaining, their lack of thankfulness. So the provision of food was to be a time of thankfulness, a time to remember what God has done for them and to thank them, thank Him for His provision. Chapter 17, God provides them drink to eat, water coming from the rock. Eating in Exodus, again, just one small snapshot there. Then we come to eating in the law, the rest of Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And under the law, if you remember, God places restrictions on certain foods. So food begins as a gift The trees that bear seed, this is your food. Noah, after the flood, this is expanded to all things that are moving. Under the law, this is now once again restricted to certain foods were considered clean and certain foods were considered unclean. You can read more about that in Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14, if you want to. We're we're not going to take the time. But food is restricted under the law for a time. In Leviticus chapter 23, you have the Feast of Israel. Leviticus 23, page number 102, if you, if you want to turn there. Lay, God lays out four feasts and four offerings given to the people of Israel. It, isn't it, it's kind of interesting that God wants food offerings from his people things that they would eat. So you have in Leviticus 23, also this is in Numbers 28 and 29, the Feast of First Fruits. You have the Feast of Weeks. So the First Fruits uh, was the first fruits of the crops that would come, and they would give this over as an offering and have a feast celebrating and trusting that the Lord was going to provide more food at a later time. When the fullness of the harvest came in, you have the Feast of Weeks. And once again, they're giving their food, trusting that the Lord would provide. You have the Feast of Trumpets, which we know today as Rosh Hashanah. You have the Feast of Booths, which was celebration of God bringing his people through the wilderness. So they would set up temporary dwelling places. And then you have the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. Not so much a feast... It was, it was the pinnacle uh, t- event in, in, in Leviticus 23 that spelled out for us the Day of Atonement, but it's actually a day of fasting. It's a day when the people of Israel would not eat. All of these feasts were times that God was instructing his people to interrupt their lives, stop what they're doing, and focus on him as their deliverer, their provider, their sustainer. They were to focus on him as the one true God, the only place that they could truly put their trust. They weren't putting their trust in the the crops and the, the animals that were their food. They needed that 
right, physically to sustain themselves, but that's not where their trust was. Their trust was in their God who was providing for them. And so in the sense, by offering their food, they were giving their most basic necessity of life and trusting that God was going to continue to provide and sustain them by grace. And ultimately, all of these feasts, and we'll, and we'll look at some of this next week, are pointing to Jesus as he is the fulfillment of all Scripture. But we're starting to get a sense in the way God uses food and eating and drinking to call his people to remember him. It's not just about filling our bellies so we can do other things, but it's time to reflect and think on him and his goodness. And we come to eating in the Psalms and Proverbs, and I'm just going to mention a couple verses here. But throughout the Psalms, God and, and the Word are compared to eating. A couple, a, a couple verses, Psalm 19 and, and uh, verse number 10, and Psalm 119 and verse number 103 speaks about the Word of God being sweeter than honey. It's compared to tasting honey. You, many of you may know this verse, Psalm 34, verse 1. Notice what it says. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You come to the book of Proverbs and there are warnings issued about overeating. Proverbs 23, 20 is one example of that. Notice what it says on the screen here. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat for drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness close them in rags. And so Proverbs and and through Solomon, we're told that while eating is good and designed to be a blessing, it is also we corrupt it and we taint it in our sin and it it can become a God that we run to. We look to the food as our satisfaction. Now I'm going to jump from Psalms and Proverbs all the way into the New Testament. If you want to uh, turn really to, to 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look at several verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Prior to getting to 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at several verses here, but you can put your finger there in 1 Corinthians 6, which is page number 954. But I want to just briefly walk through the early church and, and, and some of the ways in which we see eating Uh, in the early church and what they used it for and and even the design that God had for it. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 46, uh, uh, several of these verses will be on the screen. Adam talked about this uh, several weeks ago in relation to our our worship and community. But here the verse says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes... Notice, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. So the early church used the meals to come together in fellowship. Their eating was a time of joy, a time of thankfulness, a time of generosity, a time to praise God. Very clearly there in Acts chapter 2. You fast forward to Acts chapter 10. Food takes a center stage in the church. A church that's now made up of both Jew and Gentile. And I remember I talked about under the law, there were certain foods that were considered unclean. And so there was this tension between Jew and Gentile about foods that would be eaten. And God gives Peter a vision. And in that vision, he lifts the restrictions on what could, be, what could not be eaten under the law. And once again, all food is able to be eaten because Christ has fulfilled the law. You come to Romans chapter 14, and Paul instructs the Roman Christians on eating, and he, he, he concludes that whatever we eat should be eaten in faith, in honor of the Lord, with thankful hearts. Notice a couple verses here from Romans 14. The one who eats, how should they eat? Eat in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Verse number 23, same chapter. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. So if you're, you're eating and it's not, it, you have doubts about whether you should be partaking of this, okay, you're, it's condemning to you because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith 
is sin. So what we should eat should be eaten in faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 11, and, and we're going to jump back to verse number six, or chapter 6 in a little bit here. But, but Paul, in, in three chapters from 1 Corinthians 8 through 11, instructs the Corinthians on eating. And he's, they're t- he's talking specifically about food offered to idols and the issue of idolatry. And in summary, this is what he says, the law of God has no prohibition against eating a particular food. Rather, the focus in our eating is on our demeanor towards our fellow believers as we eat and drink. The focus is on our thankfulness to God as we eat. And Paul then concludes with a verse I shared earlier, in everything that we do, whether we eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 18, Paul prohibits the overindulging in alcohol. Do not be drunk with wine, which is excess. Be careful how much you drink. In 2 Thessalonians 3 verse number 10, this is on the screen for you. But Paul gives instructions to the Thessalonian Christians regarding idleness and laziness. And and here he says, We would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Paul ties work and eating hand in hand, much like we see in Genesis chapter 3 in the curse. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 4, we're told in, in this context that wrong teaching about eating is actually going to cause some to depart from the faith. Okay? So how important is our eating? Paul says some of you are being misled about abstaining from certain foods and it's causing you to depart from the faith. And here's what his, he kind of summarizes here. And he says, look, it's all okay to eat for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. And then the last set of verses I want to mention is in that 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So if you're, if you're there, if you have your finger there, I do want to highlight a couple verses here. In verses number 12 through verse 20, Paul gives a warning that we are not to be enslaved by anything. Verse number 12, right at the end, he says, All things are lawful for me but I will not be dominated or enslaved by anything, including food. Verse number 13, he brings food. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. The the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So very interestingly, Paul ties together eating and sexual immorality Eating and sex are both God-given desires that are easily corrupted. And oftentimes, a struggle for self-control in one area will manifest itself in another area. But I want to focus here at the very end of this passage in verse number 19, where he says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So how we care for our body matters to God, including the amount of food that we put into our body. We just, in a broad brushed stroke, walk through several portions of Scripture from Genesis Uh, all the way into the early church. We looked at at eating as it was addressed there in the book of Acts. Paul deals with it with the Roman Christians, with the Corinthians. He has to instruct Titus in this. He deals with the Ephesian Christians, with the the Thessalonian Christians. I mean, we, we could probably touch every book in the New Testament where it talks about eating and the misuse of that or the need for instruction in are eating. So I want to conclude this morning just by way of application in, in, in bringing out some principles to focus on how should we eat? How should we come to our meals? 
And, and I get it. It's not going to always happen. There's going to be moments that, that we, we live in a fast food culture. We grab our fast food. We hit the road. We, we, we throw something down. But, but I, will, I would encourage that our times of eating are times that God builds in for us to slow down and to take breaks and to, and to reflect on his goodness. So I want to give us a couple ways in which we should eat. How should we eat? Number one, eat to enjoy. I, I hope that's how you eat a lot of times. Sometimes we just eat because we need it in our bellies so we can continue to do other things. But, but think about this. God gives good gifts and he wants us to enjoy them. He gives them as a, to be a delight to us. How amazing is it that God doesn't, as the creator, he doesn't just sustain us physically, but he does so in the most delightful ways possible. He could have made eating to be kind of a pain, a chore, like, oh, I, I got to put this in my body because I need it, but I, I don't really want it. Instead, as we looked at a little bit, he allows even all, so many of our senses to experience it. We see the food, and that looks good. We smell the food. Some, some Saturday mornings, uh, I, I like to make breakfast things, and um, all our girls like the stuff, but I will say, I smell French toast. Smells good. And then we taste it. Think about all the different taste buds on your tongue. Why did God design our tongues with all those things to taste sweet and sour and salty and, and hot and spicy and all these things? Because he wants us to enjoy his gift of food. God is the giver of good things. And every time we eat, we can be reminded that he delights in giving us good gifts. So use your moments of eating to be reminded that your God is for you, not against you. He cares for you. E even to the little taste buds on your tongue. Eating is a gift from God to be enjoyed. Maybe this morning, and I don't know, I don't know who's here or who will be listening, but you might struggle with an eating disorder like anorexia or bulimia. And I would just encourage you to recognize that eating is designed to be a blessing and oftentimes you don't see it as a blessing. Let me encourage you to reach out to someone for help in this area if, if that's something that you, you are struggling with and facing. But eat to enjoy. Number two, eat to bring glory. All of life is to bring glory to God. Eating doesn't get lost in this. You say, well, how, how do we do this? How do I eat to bring God glory? I think in two ways. We eat in faith and we eat in freedom. Whatever we eat or drink, wherever we eat or drink, it must be done in faith. I believe that God has allowed me to do this. I think probably maybe the most relatable issue in our culture is the issue of drinking alcohol. This must only be consumed in moderation, okay? We're, we're prohibited from drunkenness. We're, it should be done with a faith that this is appropriate for you. And we must do this in a way that seeks to not cause others to fall and stumble. And then if we say, hey, I, I, don't, I, I, I don't have any problem uh, with, that would be our mindset if we say, I don't have any problem with consuming uh, alcohol in moderation, but then some would say, hey, I, I don't know that that's appropriate for me. And we would say, look, respect the liberty of others. You have a freedom in Christ. But we should receive our food and drink even in that freedom with thankfulness. And also remember that it comes with a warning about being enslaved to our food. We are free to enjoy food in moderation You've, you've been in those Thanksgiving meals. And man, when on that Thanksgiving day and you see all the food out there, it's easy to think, man, I'm free to eat as much as I want. And you, I don't, I've been here. I don't know if you have. 
I'm free to eat as much as I want, and an hour later, I'm restrained to the couch because I can hardly move. I've eaten so much. Maybe, maybe that's a silly illustration, I don't know. But the sin of gluttony is an often overlooked sin in our culture. It's one that's easily engaged in because of what we have available to us. Don't be enslaved to food. Instead, eat to the glory of God, knowing that he is our true satisfaction. And then number three, and we'll be finished, eat to celebrate God. God has designed our need for food and our desire to eat to be a continual reminder of our daily provision that comes from him. What does Jesus say to pray for? Give us this day our daily bread. We're constantly dependent on him. And so we constantly are reminded that he is a faithful provider. And so let your heart celebrate this as you eat. God, once again, you have provided physical sustenance. Every time we eat, it is a tangible reminder we may not always, sometimes we say, well, where's God at work in different things? I can't see how he's working. But when we hold food in our hand or we see it on our plate or on our fork, it's a tangible reminder that we have a God who deeply loves us, that faithfully provides for us every day and will never leave us or forsake us. So we celebrate by thanking God And ultimately, not just for physical provision, but for a spiritual provision that we have in Christ, the salvation that we have through him, all of those things, God's mercy and grace. Eat to celebrate. Celebrate as a family. Let me ask you this. How many meals do you eat with your family every week? Family meals are a loss practiced in society. I'm not talking about sitting around the TV. We do that a lot of times on Saturday nights. We, we just watch a movie and eat together and, and lay low. But let me commend you, commend you to the high value of regularly spending time as a family or as a couple eating at least one meal a day together. Let's put down our cell phones, turn off the TVs, and instead of just distracting ourselves, we can intentionally use that time to celebrate God and highlight his love for us. Celebrate as a family. Celebrate with others. Sharing of meals across family lines is is another lost and rare thing in our society, but it really should be more a part of the Christian life. Use your meals as opportunities to fellowship. So God has designed our bodies with a rhythm of eating that, that routinely causes us to slow down and acknowledge him. Our eating is not just an inconvenience in order to get to something more important in our day. Let me just get this over with or let me grab something on the fly all the time. So I'm running, running, running. But rather allow allow these moments of eating to be refreshing moments that cause us to reflect on all that God is and all he has done for us ultimately in, in Christ.